morning. It's good to see you back. You must be happy because tomorrow is holiday, right? Now, those who don't know, tomorrow is called Yom Kippur. It's a day of atonement. All right, so for the Jews, beginning sundown today at 5 p.m. up to tomorrow, 5 p.m., it's called Yom Kippur. It's a day of atonement. You won't see Jews walking on the streets. You won't see their shops open. And most likely, all the Jews are in the synagogues either praying and reflecting because this day, today, and tomorrow is about repentance and forgiveness. This is the biggest day of the year and the only day of the year where the Jews would gather in synagogues to pray and reflect on their sins. It's the most solemn day for the Jews. Let me give an insider tip. This is the only day of the year where Jews are obligated to make amends with their neighbors. If you have a Jewish neighbor and he's a he's bad neighbor to you, you can expect that he has to say sorry today or tomorrow on Yom Kippur. Now, but the original Yom Kippur was not celebrated this way. The original Yom Kippur was in a different context. Let me give you the context for the original Yom Kippur. See, the first time Israel encountered Yahweh, it was in Mount Sinai. Three days before this encounter at Mount Sinai, you'll find this in Exodus chapter 19. The people of Israel were instructed to wash themselves, wash their clothes, and gather at the foot of Mount Sinai. They were not supposed to cross the boundary. They were not supposed to touch the mountain. They were not supposed to go up because Yahweh, the God of Israel, will descend on top of the mountain covered with thick clouds. And Moses is the only one who's allowed to go up to the mountain to meet with God. This is like a, a town hall meeting for the people of Israel. Finally, for 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and they were freed now, they will be able to meet their own God face to face in person. Yahweh was about to appear in person in Israel. Now fast forward to Leviticus chapter 9. So that's Exodus 19. Now it's Leviticus chapter 9. Now God instructed them, God instructed them to build a tabernacle. It's a small tent, and it's called a tabernacle. This small tabernacle is divided in two. It's divided by a thick veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place. You may understand this is the, the holy place, the, the living room, and the most holy place is like the, the bedroom. This, this is where you will find the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. In Hebrew, it's called the Chadoshim. It's the most holy of all places because Yahweh resides in that place. Outside the most holy place, in the living room, you will find the menorah, the candlestick. You will also find the bread, sorry, the table that sits the bread, and you will find the altar of incense. All these are very important inside the tabernacle. And on that day, Yahweh will descend again, not in Mount Sinai, but inside the tabernacle. This is very exciting for the people of Israel. In fact, Moses and Aaron that day gave all the offerings they can give. If you go to Leviticus chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, all the offerings were listed there. All the offerings were offered by Aaron and Moses and the Bible said that fire came down from heaven and consumed the offering. What does it mean? It means God accepted their offering. 
for once, God accepted their offerings. This is like a big celebration, just like in Mount Sinai. But the very next day, the two sons of Aaron, named Nadav and Abihu, went inside the tabernacle drunk. They were drunk from the last night's party. They, they had this hangover. They were not right in their heads. And so they did not follow the protocol. And because of that, God was not pleased. And again, fire came down from God and consumed these two priests. They died immediately on the scene. This is what it says in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 2. It says, fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, Moses talked about God as a consuming fire. That means God will never compromise his holiness. For There's no room for mistakes in the tabernacle. People cannot just come and go to the tabernacle. That's why this story, beginning from chapter 10, is disrupted, interrupted. The next story is in chapter 16. What is in between 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 are all about the loss of what is clean and unclean. Because what God wants is for people to understand that they cannot just come to the tabernacle when they want to, if they want to, because God is a holy God. What that means is that if you are unclean, if you ate something unclean, if you have a, a skin disease, if you have menstruation, if you have all sorts of uncleanness and unholiness, you cannot enter the tabernacle or you will also die like the sons of Aaron. That's Leviticus 11 to 15. Now, let's jump to chapter 16. This is the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur. Question is, what is it for? What's it, what is it for? Now, imagine you're one of the Israelites. You're in the wilderness. Food is scarce. And you're hungry. And every day, the Bible said there's manna from heaven, bread. So bread for breakfast, bread for lunch, bread for dinner. That's all you get. But you want something else. You're craving for lechon or something else. You're craving for meat. And what you do is you go in, in somewhere outside the camp, and you say probably find a rabbit, and you kill it. But the Bible said in Leviticus 11, it's unclean. So when you eat it, you're unclean. Say you just gave birth, you're a mother. You're unclean automatically. Say you have a skin disease, you have psoriasis, you're unclean automatically. What if you're an Israelite having those conditions and you don't have an animal sacrifice to be declared clean? What do you do? You wait for Yom Kippur. You wait for the whole cycle of one year because in Yom Kippur, on this day, all sins will be forgiven, whether voluntary or involuntary, whether intentional or unintentional, all moral and ritual, all sins will be forgiven on this day. And there's only one sacrifice to be made. That means you don't have to produce an animal sacrifice because the priest will produce it for you. This is a good day, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, the sanctuary of God and the people will be purified from uncleanness. This is the day to say sorry to God. You see, when you go through a major medical operation, what you don't see exactly is what happens inside the operating room. There's a certain protocol that must take place, sort of sanit sanitizing all the instruments, preparing all the things that the doctor will use for the surgery, all the doctors and personnel has to wash their hands 
put on gloves and all protective clothing before they can enter the operating room. It's standard policy. It has to be sanitized. See, Yom Kippur also goes with a protocol, a certain protocol. The high priest and the people must follow this certain protocol because on Yom Kippur, all sins will be forgiven. That's Leviticus chapter 16. So on this day, there are seven important steps for the high priest to follow. Seven important steps. And it's to follow this by the book or else he will also die like that his two sons consumed by the fire of the Lord. Now, there's only one rule for Yom Kippur. The high priest can only go to the most holy place, the Chadoshim, once a year on this day alone. He cannot just barge in and say, God, I'm here. What are you doing? Let's hang out. He cannot do that. Only on Yom Kippur because that place is the most holy place, the Chadoshim, the most holy place. So the first step is he enters the tabernacle, the living room. He washes himself, even though he has already taken a bath. He washes himself, you know, this is a ritual, and he puts on a linen clothing. This is like the surgeon putting on gloves and protective clothing before the operation. He puts on the linen clothing. The second thing he do, he enters the most holy place. He goes through the veil, enters the most holy place, and brings incense. Incense is like the sweet-smelling thing that you put in the fire, and it produces smoke. Incense. We have it in the Catholic Church, in the Russian Orthodox, Orthodox Church, and in some other religions. We have incense. The idea is for this smoke to cover to fill the room and cover the Ark of the Covenant. There's a reason for this. The high priest will have to simulate what happened in Mount Sinai where the thick clouds covered the top of the mountain because God will descend. The priest cannot see God or else he will die. Let me read to you Leviticus 16 verse 12. It says he is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He's to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover before the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. The only reason for the incense is to cover up with smoke so that when God appears in person, he doesn't see God and die. And then he goes out. He goes out to the main, so the outside of the tent. He slaughters a bull. He carries the blood, goes back through the veil to the Kadashim, sprinkles blood on top of the atonement cover. See, English Standard Version says mercy seat. But NIV says atonement cover. It's just the same. The Ark of the Covenant has a lid on top, and on top are two cherubims. Two cherubims. So he sprinkles blood on top of the atonement cover. What, what is it for? In the ancient Near Eastern traditions, all the idols and the gods, they always either stand up or they always sit down on a throne. But regardless of their body posture, they always have something beneath their feet. It's called footstool. It's a, like a base. Footstool is very important because that separates the idol or the God from the people. Now, this is very interesting because when David was about to plan, he's, he's been planning to build a temple for God. 
for the Ark of the Covenant. So I was thinking about this, and people heard that he was planning to build a temple of God. So the psalmist in Psalm 132 said something about it. Psalm 132 verse 6 says, Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. What is the footstool? The Ark of the Covenant. The atonement cover is God's footstool. That is where he will appear to Aaron when Aaron enters the most holy place. That's where God is standing. This is very interesting to say the least. So Aaron has to go to the most holy place, sprinkle the blood of bull for the forgiveness of his own personal sins. He must first deal with God personally. And then he comes out. He goes out again from the tent and he's presented with two identical goats. And he will cast lots on the two goats. And it says, the Bible says, one for God, one for Azazel. Let me say that again. One for God, one for Azazel. Now, who is this Azazel? Now, I'm going to go back there in a minute. The one for God, he will slaughter, he will bring the blood back to the, the tabernacle, pass through the veil, and enters again in front of the Ark of the Covenant, and it will sprinkle blood again. Now that blood is for the sins of the people. A smaller animal, but for the sins of all the people. That's for you and me. And then he will come out of the veil, go, go outside again, and he will take the goat for Azazel, and he will lay his hands, both his hands, on the head of this goat, and he will confess all the sins of the people to this goat. And then he will release this goat to the wilderness. Now, this is a very interesting ritual. Uh, but this is what it says in verse 16. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy praise, place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And then he will come out again, confess the sins of the people to the head of the goat. This is what it says in verse 21. He shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Now what is this? What is this goat? Sometimes the Bible calls this scapegoat. All right? Scapegoat. In your Bible, you will read it scapegoat because he's bearing the sins of all the Israelites now the question is who is Azazel it's one for the Lord and one for Azazel what is this strange ritual the Hebrew scholars call this elimination ritual because the goat for the Lord will be slaughtered the blood will be sprinkled as an offering to God for the sins of the people but this goat for Azazel it will remain alive it will carry the sins of the people. It will be led to the wilderness and die there. Some Jewish traditions even say that they will bring this goat for Azazel at the edge of a cliff and push it so that it will not have the possibility to come back. Sins will be out from the camp of God. It will be in a place where everything is unholy. You see, after a major operation, Every instrument will be sanitized. But all others will be disposed in a biohazard bag because it's unclean. 
You see, the goat for Azazel is like the biohazard bag. It carries all the toxic sins of the people. And it will be sent to Azazel. Now, if you're ever wondering, there's no other place in the Bible except Leviticus chapter 16 where this word, this name is mentioned, Azazel. Let me explain this. When I was growing up, I was told that whenever we see a mound of dirt, uh, in Tagalog, we call it punso. I, I'm not sure if you see this. It's called punso. In English, it's nothing but an anthill. Ants live it there. But when I was growing up, I was told that whenever we see a, an anthill, evil spirits live in there. The seven dwarves of Snow White live there. Right? You, you heard about it. But it's an anthill. And whenever you pass by, you have to say, tabi tabi po. Excuse me. Or else, you will offend the spirit. Sometimes, you even offer flowers and food and toys, you know, things like that. You don't want to offend the spirits. You see, in the ancient Near East, they believed that somebody owns the desert, that the wilderness is the territory of this demon goat by the name of Azazel. Azazel roams the wilderness, and whenever he finds someone, he will kill. And so people know this goat. His name is Azazel. Now what's interesting is that you don't find this name other than in Leviticus 16, but there is a mention of this name in other non-canonical book of the Bible because they understand who this is. Let me read to you First Enoch. This is not part of the Bible, but this is an extra, extra literature that is always referred to whenever they mention this name. First Enoch chapter 10, verse 4 and 8. For the purpose of reference, it says, Bind Azazel hand and foot and cast him into the darkness and make an opening in the desert, which means he lives in the desert, which is in Dudael, and cast him therein. And the whole earth has been corrupted through the works that were taught by Azazel. To him ascribe all sin. So apparently, in the ancient world, they believed that this Azazel is a demon, a fallen angel. Now, this is kind of scary. See, when Jesus criticized the Pharisees in his time, Jesus called them brood of vipers. What is this brood of vipers? It means descendants of the serpent. And what serpent are we talking about? We're talking about the serpent in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, the one who deceived Adam and Eve, the one who introduced sin in the world. See, it has no name. It's just the serpent. Brothers and sisters, Satan is not a name. Lucifer is not a name. It's a title. Satan simply means enemy or adversary. Sometimes when couples fight, Satan, it means adversary. When you are playing with chess, the one in front of you is Satan, adversary. But we took this name further and made it personal, but it's not really a personal name. Azazel is a personal name. Don't you find it interesting that when Jesus went to the wilderness to fast, he found someone? At the end of 40 days, he found this guy who tempted him. I don't know his name. The Bible did not say his name. The Bible simply said the enemy, Satan. But the ancient people understood that this is Azazel. 
Let me clarify this. The goat for Azazel was not meant as a sacrifice. The goat for Azazel was not a peace offering. It was actually an insult to the goat, sorry, to the Azazel, to the demon, because what it gets is a goat loaded with toxic sins of the people. It's, it's not beneficial for him. There's nothing for him. It's all uncleanness. It's all unholiness. And the goat for Azazel is sent to the one place in the wilderness where you will find nothing but death. Now, the last part of the priest's act was to go back inside the tabernacle, wash, take off his linen cloth, fold it, and wash himself. Take on a different cloth. This whole process is called atonement. See, there's not a single thing, but this whole ceremony is called atonement. This is a very broad term for the entire ceremony. And in case you're wondering, what has this got to do with me? Why do I have to know Leviticus 16 and the entire process of, of Yom Kippur? Why is this important for me today? See, the reason why we cannot fully understand or we cannot possibly understand the cross is because you, we have not read Leviticus 16. If you have not read Leviticus 16, you won't be able to understand the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews. To fully understand the cross, what Jesus did, his birth, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, you have to read Leviticus 16. Because the whole process of atonement is the entire life of Jesus Christ. The ceremony from beginning to end mirrors the life of Jesus. It begins and ends with the priest going to the tabernacle and washing his clothes. Now, let me get, get you this. Have you ever wondered why Jesus at the beginning of his ministry went to John the Baptist and got baptized? What is it for? It's not for the sins of the, it's not for his sins. It was very clear that the baptism was for the sins of the people, for their repentance. But Jesus has no sin. He cannot repent. For what was the baptism for? Jesus was mirroring the first step of Yom Kippur. The priest has to wash himself, put on a linen cloth. In fact, it culminates in the descent of God. Because in the baptism, the moment Jesus came out of the water, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. God appeared in the baptism of Jesus. Don't you find it fascinating? The first step of Yom Kippur is the first baptism of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let's let, me, let me pause there. Jesus was not a high priest back in his day. It was Aaron. And yet, the book of Hebrews is saying that Jesus, the Son of God, is a high priest. Is our high priest. But hang on. We don't have a temple. We don't have a ceremony for sacrifices. We don't actually celebrate Yom Kippur. And yet, the book of Hebrews is saying that we have a great high priest who has already passed through the heavens, that is the veil, that's the thing that divides the most holy place and the holy place. It is Jesus, the Son of God. And so he said, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, this is the most important part, yet without sin. You see, the first part is to wash, the second part is to go with incense, the third part is to offer a bull sacrifice, correct? Are you still with me? If Jesus Christ is without sin, and if he's our high priest, then he doesn't have to do this. He doesn't have to offer a bull sacrifice. He can skip this process. He can go to the next one, the goat sacrifice. Are you with me? So Jesus is our high priest. So the next question is, where in the Bible does it say that he offered the blood of goats? Because that's the next thing that the priest will do, offer the blood of goats. Now, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, even through the greater and more perfect tent, what is it? It's not a physical thing, but it's heaven, like what it, what's mentioned in chapter 4. He, he, through, he went through the greater and more perfect tent. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus did not have to offer the blood of goats. What he offered is his own blood. That means crucifixion corresponds to the sacrifice of the goat offered by the priest. Jesus Christ offered his own blood. The next question is, where is the goat for Azazel? I mean, there are two goats in there. The one slaughtered, blood is sprinkled on top of the covenant, uh, Ark of the Covenant. But there's another goat, right? The goat for Azazel. Where's this goat in the history of Jesus Christ? Now, you can find it amusing because on Friday, the Good Friday, Pilate was, Pontius Pilate, was feeling very generous. So he told the people, it's a good day today. It's a good day for celebration. And in our tradition, we must release a prisoner. Who do you want me to release? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the Son, the Messiah? Let me read to you Matthew chapter 27. Exactly how it is said. It says, at that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. I mean, he's got the same name with Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, by the way, is not a unique name. Jesus is a, a common name in the first century Palestine. So I can be called Jesus. I even have a classmate when I was in high school. His name is Jesus. Jesus is a common name. So this guy, criminal, a violent criminal, has a name, Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah. So they have the same name. They are identical. Both are Jesus. Both are sons of the father. Bar is son. Abbas is father, son of the father. So Jesus Barabbas is son of the father, his own father, but a violent criminal. Jesus is the son of the real father, one we call in prayer, father in heaven. They are both son of the father. And you find it amazing? They are identical. See, the two goats are identical. The priest had to cast lots. Before one can be offered to God, one can be offered to Azazel. Are you seeing this? 
But this time it was not the priest who cast the lots. It was the people who decided who will be for Azazel. So Jesus steps forward because they chose Jesus Barabbas. Jesus steps forward, the, the innocent one, to take care of the sins of the people. Jesus became the scapegoat himself. He carried the sins of the people. He was driven away from Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, all the way to the Golgotha, carrying the sins of the world. And he was crucified there in the Golgotha. He was the scapegoat. Let, let's sink in for a moment. He was not just the goat offered for God. He was also the goat, the scapegoat that carried the sins of the world. Now, the last step for the priest was to wash himself from the blood, leave the linen cloth inside the tabernacle, and put in a new one. Don't you find it interesting that on Sunday morning, the disciples went to the tomb and saw it was open. It was open. The body of Jesus was not there. And what was left was the linen cloth. L let me read this for you. John chapter 20, verse 6. Then Simon Peter came, following him, that's another disciple, went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' bed, head, rather, not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself. The face that was wrapped on the head of Jesus Christ was folded separately. That means only one thing. That means Jesus, like the high priest, had to do this last act, had to fold this blood-soaked linen cloth in its place after washing. You see, that means Jesus was not in a hurry on a Sunday morning. He had time to rise up from the dead, sit on where he was lying down, take off the linen cloths, fold it neatly, take off the, the wrap that's on his face, and fold it separately before he had to disappear. It was mirroring the last act of the high priest. See, the last act on the Day of Atonement did not end at the cross. It was completed at the tomb. Jesus offered the ultimate Day of Atonement that is honored both in heaven and on earth. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 says, But when Christ had offered for all the time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. One time, single offering, he has offered that. That means, brothers and sisters, we don't have to celebrate Yom Kippur because Jesus has already celebrated the last and final one. Let me bring this home with you. What this means is that we don't have to wait for another Yom Kippur. What this means is that we don't have to wait for another year before our sins are forgiven. What this means is that we don't have to wait for another year before we can pray to God before we can go to God in worship, before we can come to the church to worship God, we don't have to wait for that. What this means is that whenever we sin today, whenever we fall short of God's holiness today, whenever we become unclean today, 
whenever we make unintentional sins today, including our laziness and our shortcomings, including our habitual sins and our favorite addictions, that means today we can get that forgiveness from God because Jesus has offered the last and final atonement for us. You see, that means you don't have to whip yourself in the back just like the flagellants of the black Nazarene. You don't have to pay ridiculous amount to pay for indulgences so that people will pray for you. That means all you have to do is to ask God for forgiveness now at this very moment. Why? Because Jesus has atoned for the sins once and for all. It is finished. Or is it? Is it really finished? You see, I find this very fascinating. Because the last words recorded on the cross was, it is finished. Correct? Have you been reading the book of John? John records this, it is finished. But the question is, what is finished? Because we know that the last act of the priest didn't happen at the cross. It happened at the tomb. Therefore, what is finished at the cross is not really finished, finished with the ceremony of the priest. So what was finished really? You see, the first time you read about this word finished is Genesis chapter 2. Let me read to you chapter 2 verse 1. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. That's on the seventh day. And all the host of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his work. And all that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. You see, what Jesus finished on the cross was the beginning of the new creation. This is the thing that he's been talking about. New creation. New beginning. He wants to make all things new. The cross was like the ribbon cutting for the new creation. And that's what it is. But his ministry is not yet finished. His intercession is not yet finished. His role being our mediator and high priest is not yet finished. Because that's what the Bible says. Have you ever asked yourself this personal question? Whenever you go through a trial, whenever you go through a difficulty in life, have you ever asked, I wish Jesus was here with me. I wish Jesus is somewhere in the United States and I can drive to and I can go to him personally and tell him my prayers, my problems, my issues, my stress, my husband or my wife. I don't know. I don't know. Have you ever asked, why is Jesus in heaven and not here on earth? What is he doing in heaven? What is it, why is it necessary for him to be in heaven? Listen to Paul, Romans chapter 8, 31 to 34. He gives us some rhetorical questions. He said, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's good. We all know the, the answer to the question. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That means everything should be available for you if you're a child of God. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That means if you sin, whenever you sin, if you sin today, nobody should say you're guilty. It's because Jesus Christ has died for you. Atonement sacrifice. It says it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It says Jesus is the one who died. That's crucifixion. More than that, who was raised. That was 
resurrection. Who is at the right hand of God? That is ascension. Who is indeed, what is it? Interceding for us. What this means is that when we sin today, when we become unclean, when you eat dinuguan, you become unclean, when you go for menstruation, you become unclean, when you have skin disease, you're unclean. And yet the Bible is saying that Jesus is interceding for us, not here on earth, but in heaven. That's why he's to be there. What he's saying is that Jesus at this very moment is in the most holy place interceding for us. Why? Because we are not yet perfect. We still sin. We still fall short of God's standard of holiness. We have not fully overcome our selfishness. We still prioritize our, our pleasure rather than serving God. We are still persuaded by the latest trends of the world. We are easily persuaded by the world. It is for these reasons that we need Jesus to continue his intercession for us in heaven. Beloved, atonement is not just crucifixion. It's also the resurrection and the ascension. And Yom Kippur does not guarantee forgiveness for the next year's sins or for the next five years' sins. You see, sin is like inflation. It always goes up. never goes down. We accumulate our sins. But Jesus, who is in heaven, our high priest, has not left the Kadashim ever since. He has been interceding for us. That means every time we fall short today, every time we sin, the Bible says if you are in Christ, if you are considered a true follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a real child of God, that means every time we fall short of the standard of holiness, Jesus, in the most holy place, tells the Father, I died for this man. I died for this woman. I bled for him. He's not perfect. He's a work in progress. But I got him covered. Christians, you are a work in progress. We make mistakes. We come to church late. Sometimes. We're a work in progress. And we understand that. See, if Jesus is patient with you, we have to be patient with one another. Would you say amen to that? But if you aren't sure of your relationship with Jesus, if you aren't sure that you are part of his sheepfold, now is the time for atonement. Answer these questions. Are you sorry for what you did? Do you believe that Jesus is the ultimate high priest? Do you believe in the sacrifices of Jesus? If so, all you have to do is to make a decision in your heart today and say yes to God. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pray for you. Close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm going to pray for you. I want this to be a meaningful experience for all of us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for dying for us and bearing all the sins on your shoulder so that we can have forgiveness of sins. Father, thank you for being patient with us. And many times, intentionally and unintentionally, we fall short of your standard of holiness. Sometimes we neglect you. Sometimes we do not prioritize you. Father, forgive us of our sins. 
if you're not yet sure if you're part of the sheepfold, if you're not sure if you're a child of God, if you're not sure if you have a real relationship with Jesus, ask yourself, are you sorry for your sins? Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your high priest who has offered his own blood for you? If all your answers are yes, say it to God with all your heart. Lord, I believe you. Lord, I accept you. Lord, I believe you with all my heart. Forgive my sins and welcome me in your kingdom. If you did that prayer, I guarantee you, God will look down on you. God will establish his personal relationship with you. And you will feel that forgiveness in your life. Because the Bible said, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. We have to be born again. And you know if you have been born again. You know if you've been forgiven. The Bible said the peace of God will transcend all understanding. It will permeate in our hearts and our minds. And God will talk to you personally. Father, I pray for every one of us. I pray even, Father, for those who are not here, maybe busy with something or maybe not feeling well or those who are traveling abroad. Or for some other reasons, they're not here. Father, I pray that you will also extend your blessings on them. Extend the forgiveness to them.